Hey, it's Alan Carter. Welcome to the podcast. First up, let me confirm, I am not a cat. But we will hear from that Texas attorney who got himself into a little bit of viral trouble because he appeared to be a cat. Plus, what's going on with cannabis stocks? Tim Collades from Globe and Mail joins us to talk about what the Redditors are doing now and Eva Holland on her new book, about fear. Let's get to it. Hi there. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm just, wait a second. I have a little trouble here with my Zoom setting. Let me just get at that. Working with my Zoom settings. I'm just just trying to get fixed. Here I am. I'm live now. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much. I just want to confirm that I am indeed not a cat. I'm here live. I'm not a cat. Not a cat. What that was, this is just the greatest meme to come along in a very long time. And I'm telling you, it is the balm we need. It, a couple of things it helped out with the whole I'm not a cat lawyer thing, the Zoom call. You may have seen this by now. It's just kind of gone viral all around the world. A, one, it banished the weekend lost in the Hall of Mirrors meme that was everywhere since the Super Bowl. So that's a winner. And then two, it confirms to all of us what the internet is actually built on. What is it actually based on? It's based on cats. Cats are deadly animals. Cats. Everything. It's all about cats. Coming up on the program, we're going to hear from the I Am Not a Cat lawyer, a Texas prosecutor. We'll be on this program to explain what happened and try and confirm, is it true that he is not a cat? I'm here live. I'm not a cat. That is precisely the kind of thing a cat would say. Am I right? That is precisely the move a cat would make. I see through you. Meanwhile, big news. We got big news uh, uh, over the course of this program. We're going to talk about March break. We have some indication that the Ford government might actually cancel March break and keep kids in class. We're going to get your take on that. What do you think about it? We're going to talk about pot stocks. Is the stock market currently high? Uh, are the bathroom investors who are all sitting around with their laptops, are they just huffing cannabis stocks? And why is it that they have jumped back up and should you get on board? And congratulations today to Kingston Frontenac, Lennox and Addington, and Renfrew County, and also Hastings, Prince Edward County. Congratulations to those three regions in the province of Ontario because you have now just moved into the green zone. That is not another pot stock reference. You're in the green zone and that means you get to reopen, you get to do all kinds of things and that's because the numbers are low there. But here's the concern in all of those regions. They're worried about you and me. Probably more me. They're worried about people from Toronto who might be in stay-at-home areas heading their way. And the medical officer of health for Hastings Prince Edward County has this to say. We uh, are limiting the ability of individuals from areas that are subject to stay-at-home order order to come to to Hastings Prince Edward and have a nice sit-down meal with a group of friends. And, And that's the... Uh, that's the type of activity that we're trying to prevent. That is Peter Oglaza, who is the Medical Officer of Health for the region of Hastings Prince Edward. Do not come 
We are ordering restaurants and other businesses not to serve people from outside of the region. How possibly can they enforce that? Well, Steve Ferguson is the mayor of Prince Edward County and joins me on the line. Welcome, Mayor. Hi, Alan. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Congratulations on being in the green zone. That it obviously is a big relief for all the businesses and, re- and residents in your area. It is, and it's testament to our businesses and our residents who've been, um, you know, adhering to the new health protocols that have been put in place to deal with the pandemic. So um, this is really something that goes to the credit of our community. How are you going to ensure that businesses are not serving people from stay-at-home regions like Toronto, Peel, or York? Well, the the Section 282 order that Dr. Oglaza um, announced yesterday, you know, obviously involves the entire health unit, which is uh, includes Belleville and Quinty West, Bancroft, and of course Prince Edward County. Um, you know, he has asked that um, restaurant owners are going to be specific uh, requirements of them to um, make sure that contact tracing and identification is provided. Um, the dine-in services are going to be limited to uh, only six people per table. Uh, and as I say, the, oh, like contact information needs to be uh, provided by patrons who may so, be attending either local accommodation or dining in restaurants. So what you're saying is that on your way into the restaurant, when you're, you're heading in, you've got to show your, your driver's license. And if it says Toronto on it, then I'm sorry, you know, no shirt, no shoes, no Toronto, no service. Well, yeah, and that was that was actually something that was in place two months ago when we were we found ourselves in a similar situation where we were at one level and uh, other areas of the province were in another, and people people came to our community or or other communities in Hastings, Prince Edward, and restaurants voluntarily started taking information about um, you know who people were, where they were from, in case they had to be uh, contacted. So the same thing is being put into place now. And, you know, this is this is to protect, you know, our residents and our businesses, uh, you know, from, from people coming in from highly infected area. I mean, normally we would welcome people to visit uh, Prince Edward County, and, and this is not, you know, as I've read in media, we are not banning people now. Why, why, do you, why do you want to make that point, uh, Mr. Mayor? Why, why do you want to point out that uh, the media reports about quote-unquote banning you know, I, is not accurate? I've, I've seen headlines that have, have indicated that, and the health unit has made it quite clear that um, they want to prevent the um, you know people traveling from uh, one restriction level uh, that may differ from another. So people coming from red to green, for instance. Yeah, but but isn't isn't that really the spirit of what you're saying? Is a you know don't come, you're banned. It isn't? I mean, aren't, aren't we just kind of quibbling over semantics here? Well, no. Well, I, no. I you know the the uh, you know putting a ban on travel in if if you know if that's the interpretation of the health unit's advice that you know that's not. That's certainly not something that I see. put out there. The health unit has put that out there. I, I see your, your point being that there, there's no ban on travel. And 
mayors from different regions, you know, prior to the province-wide uh, lockdown that came in on the 26th of December, had often complained about region hopping, and, and many had encouraged the Premier to put in some kind of travel restriction beyond just sort of the, the moral suasion that he has uh, on the Dofo show at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So, would you welcome something like that? Well, yeah, I think if if that was certainly something that the Premier was made aware of, and um, you know, it was, it was also something that was pressed on the health unit. And, and this is all to protect, uh, you know, as, as I say, our own population as well as the traveling public. And if, if uh, that clarification um, would be provided by the, by the provincial government, that would make it clearer not just for municipalities, but also for, for um, the rest of the population of the province. I'm speaking with uh, Steve Ferguson, who is the mayor of Prince Edward County. I just want to make sure I understand what you're saying there. Are you calling on the provincial government to impose or bring in some kind of travel restriction? No. The, I, what I'm suggesting is clarification for the public to, um, uh, you know, certainly travel from one health unit to another, one area of the province that's in um, one level of, of um shutdown, if you like, to an area that is less locked down, like Prince Edward County, um, is certainly welcome. And this is something that the, the Premier has, right now, there is a stay-at-home order that uh, the, the province is, is, um, is, you know, advising the public to adhere to. And the, uh, the health units have been um, tasked with implementing what they see fit for their own region, which I think is appropriate. I, I understand that uh, Prince Edward County doesn't have any uh, ski hills, but uh, you, you do have a lot of outdoor activities. By the way, it's just a gorgeous area. I love it, and I can't wait till we get to a point where I can come back safely. Uh, but one of the, one of the things that some regions are already raising their eyebrows about is that you know ski hills and other sort of outdoor activities are going to be restarting, and that sort of sends a kind of a weird message, doesn't it, to you know, people in the lockdown area or in the stay-at-home area. And keep in mind that Toronto and Peel, what are we, a week away from us emerging to, from the, you know, stay-at-home order as well? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, we don't, <laughs> we don't have ski hills. Um, yeah, but you, you uh, do have a wonderful um, cycling path, which I'm assuming would be great for cross-country skiing this time of year. You get some fresh snow down. Yeah, the Millennium Trail is is certainly one of those amenities you're referring to, and uh, you know the, the the beaches during the winter, of course, are, are um, you know quite wonderful to to uh, to visit. But you know, at this point, these those amenities are you know per the health unit um, asking people not to visit if they're coming from um, another another uh, level of of um, lockdown. And you know we'll see what happens when uh, when the other regions reopen, and uh, you know we'll we'll have to go by the advice of the health unit. Steve, all the very best. Thank you so much for coming on today. Um, I, I just give you one opportunity here because I'm, I know there's a lot of ears out there listening uh, who are in areas like Toronto, um, you know, like other areas, not going into green, who are going to be enviously looking at your region. What's your message today? Well, our message is that, you know, we, we very much want people to come and visit Prince Edward County. 
our advice is that that right now is not the um, the time to visit, and we certainly want to welcome people back when um, when they are at at a similar level, a green level, for instance, um, to take advantage of the amenities and and the uh, attractions of Prince Edward County. Thanks, Steve. All the best. Take care. Okay. Thanks very much. Hey, Steve Ferguson, who joined us uh, on the line from Prince Edward County. I could not see him, but I am going to go ahead and assume that he was not a cat. I'm here live. I'm not a cat. Not a cat. He was not a cat. He was the mayor. I just got to quickly check one thing before I go on. Are you possibly a cat? I'm here live. I'm not a cat. Not a cat. Coming up. We're going to hear from that lawyer from Texas, the I am not a cat lawyer who has gone worldwide viral. Incredible. Just incredible. Get right to that. Just after we talk about whether or not the stock market is high on pot, have all the Redditors begun begun huffing cannabis stocks? Are you a bathroom investor looking for the next high? Well, maybe, just maybe, this is where you need to put your money, or is it? Buyer beware. You know, yesterday on this program, we talked about speculative investments like Bitcoin and the inherent danger of investing based on a billionaire's tweets. Elon Musk, I'm looking at you. Where are the fundamentals in all of this? Are cannabis stocks about to go up on fundamentals or just on froth based on Reddit? Well, let's get some perspective on it. Tim Collads is a Globe and Mail reporter, wrote about this today in the paper. Welcome to the program. Hey there. Is the stock market high on cannabis stocks, or are there real fundamentals behind this? I mean, I would say that the stock market is high on itself, just in general. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, cannabis is just, on, on one hand, cannabis is just the new sector to feel the love from this from what I would call this craziness. Um, but I would also add that um, I think a lot of people forget now, after all the GameStop stuff, um, that cannabis was actually kind of the first Reddit-fueled sector. Uh, I covered the big boom <laughs> around legalization here in Canada in 2017, 2018. And valuations then were like truly, truly crazy. Um, and then they crashed. Like, they really did crash. Um, yeah, it all, it all popped. Yeah, well, exactly. the, the idea here, Tim, wasn't it that, you know, okay, we're first out of the gate, we have all the expertise, we're going to have all these companies, and then the rest of the world is going to legalize, and they're just going to want Canadian pot like nothing else, and, and that was the driver behind that. Doesn't that kind of still apply a couple years later? To some extent, it does. Uh, and, and the companies are getting more professionalized, if you want to use that term. Um, so the, you know, the problem the first time is that you had a lot of folks that were behind these companies and running these companies that, you know, they're, they're entrepreneurs type. Like, they didn't actually know how to manage something that was so big. And, and, and weed, like actually making weed, cultivating weed, is actually a very intricate process. You know, you can get mold on weed. Like, it's an agricultural skill, believe it or not. So the first round of these management teams and stuff just really messed up, and that's been part of the problem as to why there was an early crash. Um, since then, the teams have kind of professionalized, and you are seeing revenue growth in Canada. You know, and now we have it. We're at a point where legal weed being sold has actually surpassed the black market weed being sold by recreational users. That just happened. 
Um, so there's, there's a legit business here. Don't get me wrong. But the problem now is that a lot of the companies themselves are saying that Canada has a huge oversupply of, of, of product uh, within our own borders. So the big hype has been around, you know, well, what's the U.S. potential? And ever since, you know, Joe Biden got elected and then the Democrats gained control of the Senate, there's more and more hype around the fact that rec- uh, recreational marijuana could be legalized in the U.S. Would so that be like nationwide? Isn't that a, a state's rights thing? And, and didn't a number of states pass legalized marijuana uh, measures during the election? Yeah, you're completely right. And that's why the, the latest rise has been in the market has been a bit confusing, because I think a lot of people don't realize that. Um, the, the reason why federal legislation or legalization matters, I should say, is because then you can actually bank these companies. Right now, they have to have a very, use a very intricate model of funding themselves. Uh, that's the best way to simplify it. Um, uh, and so by being federally legal, it helps them raise capital, which then helps them grow. Uh, but yes, to your point, you know, there's, all these, there's already these huge, they're called MSOs, multi-state operators in the U.S., in, in, country, in, in states like California, which are the size of Canada. Um, and so I think there's this narrative in the market that, you know, if, if Canadian firms can just start selling crazy into the U.S., you know, they'll just take off again. Uh, the problem is that there's, there's going to be stiff competition. Uh, and right now, I would argue that, you know, I, I don't even think it's an argument. I think it's a fact. Um, you know, these things aren't trading on fundamentals, as you kind of suggested in, in, in the intro. It's, 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 it's almost a bit of a a game, a bit of fun. I mean, that's, that's my big takeaway, to be honest, from the GameStop saga. Um, you know, I, my theory, this is a bit of a crazy one, but my theory is that, you know, the whole Reddit crowd is very similar to my fantasy football crowd. Uh, and fantasy football ended, and all of a sudden, you know, my buddies are going <laughs> off about, you know, what's the day trading? Like, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. One of, one of my buddies, I won't name him, out of nowhere, like, he does not read my stuff, okay? Like, you know. Right. Um, he messaged me one day and he's just like, you know, do you think Air Canada is worth 18 bucks? And I was just like, what are you talking about? Like, you never, <laughs> just, let me reintroduce you here, Tim. Uh, Tim Kalads is a Globe and Mail reporter who's uh, uh, covered a bunch of sectors, but is focusing uh, in his current piece on, in the Globe and Mail on the cannabis cannabis stocks. I, that brings me back to the, I think, the old Warren Buffett, I think, you know, tale before... Uh, maybe it was the dot com crash where he gets into a, a cab and the cab he starts talking about stocks and he's like, I'm out. I am out when that happens. Yeah, exactly. And and, and I think what people have to realize um, it, in general here is that there's froth all over the market. Um, and so we've been covering this for a while. And I, I don't blame most people for not knowing because most people don't pay attention to, you know, broad market trends and things of that sort. Um, but there's just basically so much cash sloshing around. And now you have kind of like excess cash finding different pockets. And so cannabis is the new pocket um, or the renewed pocket, I guess you could call it. Um, and, you know, that doesn't mean that there isn't money to be made. And I don't want to sound like the super negative person who, you know, is laughing at everybody because I know folks that have made legit money. Um, but, you know, what we saw this morning already is just a proof of how volatile it can be. Um, I think in the, you know, in, in the, uh, the, the stock started trading, I think Kennedy was up 10% within like 20 minutes and then it lost effectively all of that, um, in the next hour. And then I think it's back up again now. And so when you're, when you're seeing this type of roller coaster, it's, it's, it's really people gambling is the best way I can put it. Uh, and again, that's not necessarily bad or good. Like, you know, you have these trading platforms like Robinhood, Wealthsimple, TD Waterhouse, et cetera. 
Um, so they're encouraging it. It's just a matter of knowing that you're probably at some point going to run up against people that are smarter than you. Right. Is, is the best way and, to put it. And the house always wins, whether it's the exactly. casino or whether it's the stock market, if you're a day trader. Tim, yeah. I appreciate you being on the program. Thank you so much. Please join me again. Absolutely. Cheers. That is uh, Tim Collades, who's a Globe and Mail reporter. Also, Tim uh, is not, I couldn't confirm this, but I'm going to go out on a limb. Tim, not a cat. I'm not a liar, but not, I'm not a cat. He is not a cat. Now, have you seen this? I suspect that everyone has, but I'll just give you a quick run through what it is and why everyone's talking about I am not a cat. Uh, is Yesterday, this came out from Texas. It was a Zoom call, and uh, during a court proceedings, the lawyer in question w- was on the Zoom call, and he had some kind of weird filter on his face, and he shows up as a cat, and the judge is like, I, I think you have a filter on, and he can't seem to get it off, and that's where he says, I'm here live. Uh, I'm not a cat. Well, who is the lawyer in question? His name is Rod Ponton. He's a county attorney in Texas, and he spoke with Global News about what happened. I'm county attorney for the fourth largest county in Texas, so it's big. And I came down to another city here, Presidio, logged into my secretary's computer, and he's going to appear at this hearing at 11 o'clock via Zoom. And when everybody's ready, the judge calls the case and everybody's face is supposed to pop up on Zoom. We've all done it. And everybody's face popped up except mine. Mine was a cat. But, oh, what's this? And, uh, you know, I'm uh, a computer literate, but I'm not, I'm not a techie. I didn't know how to take the filter off. I didn't even really know what a Zoom filter was. He's got children, and I presume she had it there, a child had it there. She doesn't know, and I don't know. It just it just miraculously appeared. I'm, I'm, I'm here in a small town in West Texas and trying to have lunch an hour after this hearing, and I start getting these calls from New York and L.A. and Washington, D.C., and I, I didn't have a clue what was going on. And uh, finally, when I figured out, I figured out that, well, you know, it's just one of those things. It's like, what's the saying we have out here in West Texas? You can't put toothpaste back in the tube. You know, if it's, if it's gone out and it's gone viral, let it go. Just have to roll with it. You know, it's uh, it happened to me. I can't deny it. You know, it's, uh, I hope everybody can get a little chuckle at my expense today. That is Rod Pompton, a county attorney in Texas, speaking with Global News about what happened when he appeared on a court proceeding yesterday with a cat filter over his face and now has gone wildly, wildly viral around the world. And he can confirm that he indeed is not a cat. Not a cat. What is it that you fear? Do you struggle with a phobia, spiders perhaps, the dark, public speaking? Yukon-based journalist Eva Holland was forced to begin confronting her own fears after her mother died suddenly of a stroke. And in her new book, Nerve, Adventures in the Science of Fear, Holland details her fears of falling, her fears of heights, her fears of driving even. 
And along the way, she looks at how we are shaped by our fears and what science tells us about our brain and the things that frighten us. Eva Holland joins me on the line. Eva. Hello. Welcome. I, five months after your mother's passing, y- you had a car accident. Is that what sent you on this journey to write about facing your fears? That was a big piece of it. Yeah, I had a, you know, a few things kind of came together. I, um, I had always, you know, I had always really feared my mom's death. She had lost her parents when she was quite young. And so I had grown up understanding um, the impact that that can have on a person and, and, and being quite frightened of, of the same thing happening to me. So when she did die, it felt like my worst fear coming true. And then as I sort of came through the worst of, of my most acute grief, I realized I was going to be okay. I wasn't going to be impacted in the same ways that she had been for various reasons. And, and that was sort of empowering to kind of, you know, survive your worst fear coming true. And then I did have uh, two car accidents sort of in pretty quick succession and, and, uh, and an incident uh, around the same time. I had a bad stretch um, with, with um, sort of a panic attack uh, in the mountains. And I thought maybe I can try to figure this out. Maybe now that I understand that I can come through my worst fears. It's time to sort of understand what's happening to me. Um, you know, now that I'm frightened of driving and I'm, I'm, I'm scared of heights, all this stuff, maybe I can try to figure this out and understand what's happening in my mind and my body and, and see if I can fix it. So then you go on this journey to actually confront these fears. And along the way, as I said, you, you also look at the science behind it. What, what does science, What does science tell us about where our fears come from? Yeah, science has a lot to say about fear, which was helpful for my research. It's often sort of the example used even when scientists are studying our emotions more broadly because it is so so deeply rooted in all of us. And, and what science has to say is that um, fear is, is essential. It's a survival mechanism, um, but that sometimes it can sort of run a bit wild on us. It can, it can um, you know, be triggered more readily than we would like. It can, it can be more active than we would like. And so what I came to understand is not that fear is something to sort of, you know, the language we often use is like overcome, defeat, conquer. Um, and, mm. and I think it's more about learning the right way to be afraid. You talk about the, this term, face your fear or, or confront it. And, and you come away with, the, like, as you say, the, the realization that that's not the way to handle these things. Yeah, it, it can be, but there's a right and a wrong way to do it, I think. Um, I'll give you an example. I thought maybe I can cure my fear of heights by just like uh, scaring myself to the maximum possible. And so I, I decided to go skydiving. Like maybe I can just fix this through sheer exposure, you know, sort of shock it, and Is awe. that what's referred to as exposure therapy? Is that what that means? Well, that's what I thought. But it turns out that exposure therapy is much more structured much more gradual. And, and it's not about just scaring yourself to the point of, of, you know, being scared straight or whatever. It's, it's, uh, it's more about building new systems in your brain to remain calm. Um, and that's what I didn't understand at first. And so I, I tried various things that, that are all sort of look like different ways of facing your fears, but, but the, it turns out there's sort of a right and a wrong way to do it. <laughs> 
I was speaking with my uh, 12-year-old son about this interview previous today, and I talk, asked him about what he feared, and one of the things he said was spiders. And I, I suggested, well, maybe we should put you in a pit with a lot of spiders, and then you wouldn't be scared of spiders anymore. But your, your point being that that is precisely the wrong thing to do. That would be the wrong thing to do. What might be the right thing to do would be like, um, you know, have him on the opposite room, opposite side of the room from one spider and then have him take one step closer. <laughs> um, the pitfall of spiders, the sort of Indiana Jones method is, uh, is, is not considered the ideal, I think. What does science tell us about uh, PTSD um, and then phobias? And your, your book kind of gets into you know, some of the differences and, you know, you can have one, but not the other, but they do both inform the way we see the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I hadn't realized until I started my research, how connected, you know, phobias and, and wider anxieties and, and, and trauma and PTSD are, they're all sort of cousins and they have differences in terms of their causes. You know, phobias can sort of arise from, from no known cause. We don't totally understand where they come from. Whereas PTSD, as we know, is, is tied to traumatic experiences. But they're all um, connected in terms of how we react in terms of this sort of fear going into overdrive. And so uh, trauma, it was interesting to learn how much of it is about our perceptions of, of the level of threat that we're under. And so it's, that's part of what makes it so hard to identify and treat because two people can experience the same car crash or the same explosion really differently in terms of your sense of like it turns out that if you think you know I'm going to die you're, you're more likely to be traumatized than if you're sort of like blissfully unaware of how much danger you're in um, so it's interesting the ways that our brains can protect us and the ways that our brains can kind of uh, leave us exposed I find it so interesting you know you're, you're a, an outdoor writer you write about uh, out, in outdoor magazines um, you, you, you do all of these outdoor things you climb mountains you just I, I just, I sort of, you know, knowing your work, I was sort of surprised to find that you had this, you know, fear of heights and fear of falling. And I guess maybe that it says something about how we don't perceive other people's fears all that well. Mm -hmm. It's something I think we tend to keep pretty private. Um, you know, I was quite embarrassed to be, you know, an outdoor adventure writer who's afraid of heights. So I, I didn't advertise it until I wrote a book about it. But it was amazing after the book came out, how many people approached me to say, oh, I'm scared of that too, or I've had this experience that's similar. And some of them were people I knew well, and I had no idea they were struggling with, with a phobia, for instance, or, or you know, some form of, of PTSD. It's, um, it's something that we tend to keep pretty, pretty secret, I think, because there's, there's feelings of sort of embarrassment or even shame attached to a lot of this stuff. And so a lot of us are walking around thinking we're alone in something that we're not at all alone in. Eva Holland's new book is Nerve, Adventures in the Science of Fear, and it's out now. And I just want to confirm with you, Eva, that you are indeed not a cat. I am not a cat. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank, oh you so much for, <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and again, Eva Holland's new book about nerves and Facing Your Fears is out now. My name is Alan Carter. Thank you so much for joining me today on uh, this program. And I will also confirm, uh, despite what is widely rumored about me, I also am not a cat. That's not me. More of a howling wolf.
That's the podcast for today. Don't forget the Alan Carter Show weekdays beginning at noon.